Welcome to Bluegrass Stories with Howard Parker and me, I'm Katie Daly. Don Kenny is an award-winning singer-songwriter with multiple top ten charting songs in both the bluegrass and Americana genres. Dawn splits her time between Nashville and Boston, co-writing with friends, and she also leads songwriting workshops at festivals and other venues throughout the year. Howard Parker met with Dawn at the 2020 Joe Val Festival and asked her about her earliest musical influences. I was singing when I was real little and uh, begged for a guitar. Got my first guitar when I was nine years old. And I had an uncle who was a country music, a local country music artist. And uh, he's in the Rhode Island Country Music Hall of Fame. His name was Hank Walters. And um, just loved my, my mom and dad. Dad would take me to see him play when, when I was really little. And he was my first guitar teacher. So, um, And he loved acoustic old country music and some bluegrass, not too much. But I would say I really get turned on to bluegrass with uh, that Alison Krauss Grammy winning album, the, the first big one, her really first big album. And um, is that the one with Steel Rails or is that uh, every time you say goodbye? I think it was after Steel Rails. OK, OK. Um, but it's it's so interesting. I always love that song every time you say goodbye and years later I, I've had the opportunity to write with John Pinnell who was a writer on that song he lives on my street in Nashville so it's kind of a kind of a touchstone thing for me which is is really cool but um, so and actually it was the BBU that is how I really got involved with bluegrass taking classes in the BBU and I owe them a real debt of gratitude so we're talking the uh, the 90s mid 90s uh, time frame yeah I would really say mid 90s um, I, I had always written songs when I was younger. I was like a singer-songwriter in high school and then kind of went off to have a career in real estate and uh, had two kids and, uh, you know, built a family, that kind of thing. Sure. And uh, but and I put my, my guitar under the bed, and I always would see that in a 70s uh, Martin D18, and they had those, they, we'd call them the Steel, Steel Me Blue cases. Mm-hmm. And every now and then I'd see that case under there. And it was like always kind of nagging at me, but life was crazy, you know? And uh, started really getting to music again in the 90s and pulled the guitar out from under the bed and started writing songs again. And uh, took some classes with the BBU and kind of started learning how to play bluegrass rhythm guitar, you know, because I came up in the folk, folk days doing a lot of picking and stuff. And uh, finger picking, not picking, picking. Mm-hmm. And took a songwriting class with Claire Lynch in 2004 at the Joe Val Festival. And uh, it was like a master class thing, and we each had to play a song, and I was really nervous, and you know. And, but she really inspired me, and it was like kind of one of those things where someone says the right thing to you at the right moment when you need to hear it. and. You know, I, I'm sure I think back to that song. It was kind of a terrible song, but it had some really great stuff in it. And she was great. And I remember it so clearly, you know, you have those moments in your life. But she pointed out the really good stuff in it and said the other stuff needs to get fixed. But, you know, that there were great elements in it. I was really inspired and it. it helped me to see it in a different way. And from there, I really dug in. And so that was really the genesis. Of the impetus of uh, Don Kenny songwriting. Yeah, yeah, at but, a higher level. But you've also fronted bands since then, or? Yeah, so I've always been a singer. I've always loved to sing, and, you know, I always 
loved to perform. When I was little, I would stand on a box in the, my mom said, I have pictures of this, you know, sing along to Mitch Miller on the TV. <laughs> Everybody would clap, you know. So it's hard to let, let go of that. I was the first, first grandchild, so I was pretty spoiled. But um, yeah, I just loved to sing. It was just a spark that was in me. And uh, again, when I was in high school, I did like the singer-songwriter thing. There was a lot of folk clubs in Rhode Island, and the very well-known folk club in Newport uh, was called Salt. That's it's not there anymore, but they brought in all the big folk artists at the time. You know, Tom Rush, Eric Anderson, um, Cheryl Wheeler. I met her when she was first first moved moved to the area, and uh, listening to her at the time, she you know it was fantastic her songwriting. Um, she was just getting started was a, was big on the scene. Um, so yeah, so I did that performing when I was young and uh, yes, yeah, so that's kind of a spark, you know, you just need to do it. I was talking to Greg Blake the other night and you know, I still have opportunities to get out on stage um, with writers round, that kind of thing. But yeah, I started coming up in bluegrass, um, did the BBU thing, learned a lot of stuff through that, and then decided I really wanted to learn more, get more professional with my music, and went to IBMA. So I've been really fortunate to have found these organizations. And at IBMA, uh, the first year I went there was when I met David Morris at a songwriter song circle, I think it was 2011. Um, and we just connected, you know. It's again, it's like if when I look back, there's been these moments, these touchstone moments where the right person comes into your life at the right time when you need it, you know. And uh, so David and I just connected and we loved each other's songs and we started writing songs together and we just had this kind of magical thing where it was easy. And, it's it's and, not always easy. And for anyone who doesn't know David, he is a character once he latches on, there's no, <laughs> there's no unlatching. There's no unlatching. <laughs> yeah. But it's in a real good way. It's not a... Oh, I've at least not with me. No, yeah. he's a sweetheart. He's 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 really a sweetheart. But um, so I met him there, and I had started working on a CD as a as an artist, and I ended up doing an EP, and had some success with it. You know, uh, I had quite a bit of charting on the folk DJ charts. I don't think we charted anything in bluegrass. This is going back to 2012. Um, but I had the opportunity to perform at Carnegie Hall, and uh, that was pretty amazing. I had written a song uh, called Sing Me Home. It was a gospel song, and uh, that really opened quite a, quite a few doors for me. Uh, and I was on a show at Carnegie Hall. It was a Christmas show, and it was a benefit for the Golden Hat Foundation, which was uh, for autism. And it was quite a bill. It was Sarah McLaughlin. Uh, I can't remember all the artists that were on it, but it, it was it was an amazing experience. And uh, Brandon Godman, who's a very well known fiddler, we, he played with me at that, and uh, we had a, a had a mandolin player and a bass player who played with me for many years, Don Barry from uh, Massachusetts. And it was a great performance. It went well. Uh, it was an, an amazing experience, you know, and. Uh, we gigged a lot that year on that record and you know it was at that point I was getting a little road weary not that we gigged that much but I thought you know I need to make a decision am I really going to dig in and do this it was kind of like a breaking point um, 
and I felt like I need to get my songwriting to a higher level. And I was working with this woman who was managing me and uh, with Hartner's Music, and we kind of put our heads together, and, and she said, you know, why don't you just dig in and really write the heck out of it for the next couple of years. And that's what I've been doing since, like that was 2013. So what is it now? It's seven years later. Wow. And here you are. Well, for, the, for those of us that aren't songwriters, and myself is certainly included, uh, um, if I take a look at all the professional categories that, that I think of within the bluegrass music business, there are certainly artists, they're, they're out front, they're visible, mm -hmm. they're publishers, they're record labels. Songwriters are sort of like, uh, I don't know, my mystical creatures that are with wings of gold. That oh, sort wow. Of, that sort of, <laughs> you must be in the minority. <laughs> well, it, it's just that we, we, we acknowledge that, that they're there because, I mean, if, if, you, uh, if you read the charts, they're, uh, they're the, typically the people in the smallest print. Right, right. Un hey, the names are on the charts. That's the names, <laughs> and, and, that's, and that has not been the case always in, mm -hmm. in Bluegrass. But um, when, when you got in, in the songwriting, were, were there any sort of like warnings from a mentor that said, this is what you're getting into, this is the, this is the reality of songwriting and Bluegrass music? Wow. Ooh. Well, you know, there was a lot of things. Again, I'm, I have to mention Claire, who always was very supportive of me through, throughout the years. We'd run into each other, and, and she always remembered me. And, Claire Lynch. Uh, yeah, Claire Lynch. I'm right. sorry. We, yeah. we have gotten to be friends. And, um, but there were other people that said to me, you have to go to Nashville. And if you really want to do this seriously. And uh, the, one of the things that kind of stands out in my mind is after hearing that quite a bit, I went to uh, this woman named Barbara Cloyd who does a program at the Bluebird Cafe called uh, Play, for, Play for the Publishers. And it's like a weekend long uh, workshop where they spend, she brings in writers and, and they critique your songs and you learn about commercial songwriting and what it really takes. And then at the end of the weekend, you get to perform your songs for, I think it's like three or four, you know, legitimate publishers who are placing songs successfully at the time. And Barbara Cloyd said something that always stuck with me. I, I can't remember what year this was, but she said, if you aren't going to either move here or commit to being here like and having a significant presence in Nashville, take that three or four grand you're spending every year to make your little trips and take your spouse to the Caribbean and have a nice vacation and keep keep it as a hobby and make your music. And I was like, ooh, it, it really stung, right? Mm -hmm. And I thought, well, there's something to that. And I investigated it more and I've been fortunate to have people that would, would kind of guide me. So in terms of a warning, I think it was less of a warning and more of you need to be here, you need to show up and you must be present to win. Why, why, I mean, this, this may seem like an obvious question to you and maybe some mm -hmm. others, but there are other songwriting... Um, hubs. Hubs. Yep. Yes, exactly. Mm -hmm. uh, Austin is one, even though yep. I, I think it's sort of lost. It's it become a little tarnished lately. Um, uh, Austin, um, yeah, New, York. Uh, New York, obviously, Los Angeles. Yep. Um, why? Nashville was it was it the proximity to country slash bluegrass slash gospel? I was gospel? kind of pursuing the, that country bluegrass vein. You know, LA's thought of as kind of the pop pop area that you go to, and New York to some extent. 
genre-wise, Nashville is really changing, especially over the last few years. Like a lot of non-pop people have been moving in, and the big publishing companies are bringing in pop divisions and that kind of stuff, or other genres. But uh, you know, it's what do they call it? It's a uh, it's a company town, right? I mean, that's where it gets done. That's where the country stuff that I loved and the bluegrass stuff, the community that I was meeting at these festivals over all these years, a lot of them were based there, right, in Nashville. And the people I wanted to write with were in Nashville. Um, the publishers were in Nashville if I wanted to get my songs placed with artists. Um, you know, the producers that if I wanted to make a record there in Nashville, all the great studios were there. So, I mean, that's where it was from a professional standpoint. That's where the standard was set. Uh, you, uh, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but you, you just used the word was, that's where it was. Is, it, that's where it is. That's where it At is At the time today. when I was thinking, oh, oh, absolutely, okay. that's where it is. Okay, yeah. still. Yeah. yeah. In spite of the changes that that have been going on for at least the, you know, the, the decade, I mean, Music Row is, uh, um, isn't quite what it was 10, 10, 15, 20 years ago, and yeah. and there is the, the big corporate presence, but there's also the small indie label presence there as well. Is there a particular segment that you see yourself plugging into, or basically whoever is going to be listening? Hmm. Um, well, I don't have that pedigree that I've been there 20 or 15 years, so mm -hmm. I you know I can't really speak to how it's changed. I know how it's changed and. In the 15 years I've been going back and forth, and you know, five years really being there, probably in the last five years, and you hear the stories and people talking about mm -hmm. it. Um, I know in my experience meeting with publishers, who are the ones that get our songs placed, um, in the what I hear from the writers and the publishers is years ago they would bring in writers and develop them. There's a little less of that now. That the funds are a lot tighter because of the streaming and the way it's impacted the industry. There's not a lot of money to develop an artist. Is that like a, uh, uh, I guess it's A&R for songwriters? Is there such a thing? Uh, yeah, well, publishers, that's they would develop people. And I'm sure th there are people out there that still do that. But what, in, in my limited experience, again, I have to say, you know, I haven't been on the scene for 20 <laughs> years. Um, I've been fortunate to have met people that they kind of keep an eye on you. You know, it's, it's a very small community the songwriting community. It really is. And it's really seems to be like family there. People are really nice. They tend to be generous. Um, if you're there and working hard and you're easy to get along with, there's a lot to be said for being nice. It goes a long way. I mean, sincerely nice and helpful. Um, and if you're doing good work and there's something really cool in the core of what you're doing, you know, there's a support system there. It, it, it's not like um, uh, if you're a singer, it's not like tens of thousands of songwriters are running down to Nashville because that's where the business is. You, it, you're still a, a pretty much a minority within the business down there. Uh, no, I think there are tens of thousands of songwriters oh. running down there. But the, I don't know. I, I feel like I've, the community is small that a lot of people know each other. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I think there's all segments of it. There's the newbies that you meet out at the write arounds, and um, but but there's also a sense that we're all there, kind of chugging away, doing the same thing. So I don't know. Maybe I've been fortunate that 
you know, I've just tapped into some good. Or maybe you've been talented. Circle. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. We'll see. <clears throat> Who's the judge of that, yeah, yeah. right? Exactly. You know, I think yeah. talent is work more than anything else. Yeah. You know. So uh, you are a uh, native Bostonian or Boston area? I'm a native Rhode Islander. Rhode Islander. I grew up in Rhode Island. Thanks for the correction. Smallest, biggest little state in the <clears throat> Union. Right. And uh, moved to Boston in the late 70s. Uh, to do music, to do singer-songwriter. I was actually a sound, kind of trained, practiced as a sound engineer. So I was doing live sound engineering just when the uh, new wave thing hit and MTV broke. So that was kind of wild and fun. But, and uh, you were involved in the new wave, uh, you know, the Cindy Lauper, uh, yeah, all that stuff? Yeah, I worked with a bunch of bands as a sound <laughs> engineer. Wow. Yeah, a local, local, yeah. regional yeah. bands. Yeah. And, and as you alluded to earlier, uh, you got some advice that basically said, get thee to Nashville. Right. And you yeah. did. And I did as much as I could, you know, initially. And yeah. now, and now yeah. you, you, you made a very big decision mm -hmm. where you, you split your time now between New England and Nashville with residences in both areas. Right. Yep. Talk about that for a minute. So I had been going back and forth to Nashville and uh, maybe four times a year for a week to two weeks at a time and, you know, showing up, going the right arounds, meeting people, begging people to write, <laughs> begging people to write with me, <laughs> co-write with me, um, trying to build relationships. And it just made sense to be there, to, to kind of really put down roots is everybody kept telling me I had to do it. So, you know, I'm a firm believer if there's people that are know what they're doing and they're willing to help me focus in, I will do what I'm told <laughs> to some extent. You know, just tell me what I need to do and I will dig in and I will get it done. That's how I've always approached it. And surprisingly what happened, so I bought a house in 2017 and uh, things changed. And it was a little shocking to me. Everybody said, you have to be here, you have to be here. But it's almost like, and this is not a, like a knock to anybody, it was almost like I was taken seriously in a different way because I was, I was there more, but there was kind of an understanding that I, that I was there. You made the commitment, you made the I investment. I think that's what it was, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. <clears throat> I guess it, you're, you can't be any more serious than that, I guess, so. Yeah, so it was a little surprising. I mean, I was told that's how it was, but I was like, "Oh wow," you know. But it's been it's been great. It's you know just the just being in town. It's creative, and that's probably because I haven't been there that long. You know, you hear jaded stories and people want to leave, and but I mean, I love it. Everybody's there, you know. And just out of curiosity, is that in East Nashville? We're in East Nashville. The We're hip part of town. Yep, yep. It's actually Inglewood. It's the north part of East Nashville, mm -hmm. but it's a very big music scene there. A lot of young people, a lot of older people my age too. But uh, it's a it's fun, you know. And so you you've you've got a residence down there of which uh, I've asked earlier, but it is called the we call it the Hit House, and I, there's some debate over who actually coined that phrase. The first song we ever wrote there, right after I bought the house, I, I barely had any furniture in there. And uh, 
David Morris came down, and we were writing with uh, Dave Adkins. Dave Adkins came for the weekend. Um, just a terrific guy from Kentucky. I'm sure our audience, your audience knows who he is. And um, so, you know, I think it was either David Morris or Dave Adkins coined that phrase and said, this is the hit house. And, you know, it was such a cool thing because it was, you know, those moments when your dreams come true. It's like we kind of breathe the intention into it and we all just bought into it. <laughs> it's like we've owned that. And the first song we wrote in the hit house was uh, on the Dave Adkins title cut, Right or Wrong, for his last, I can't remember what year that came out. But So that was uh, the first song we wrote there, which was really cool. And um, we ha I have some roommates that live there. Are and, they also uh, songwriters or just? We were all uh, songwriters. <clears throat> and that was kind of my dream. My little fantasy was, oh, we're going to have this songwriter house and it's going to be creative and everybody's going to write songs together. And, you know, you have your fantasies, right? But it's it took a couple years, but we got the right folks in there. And there's some days where, you know, there's three songs. I've been in the house when there's three songs being written at the same time in different rooms. And uh, it's really cool. And we've all written together, and you never know who might walk in the door, you know? <laughs> it's kind of cool. So you've collaborated with all of, you've co-written with all of your roommates? We have a newer roommate, We ha and I haven't written with her yet, but uh, uh, Michelle Canning is a, is a young gal who uh, I actually met in the Boston scene, and she's a bluegrass musician, artist, songwriter, she's a banjo player. And I met her years ago, she, you know, she was a little girl with a big banjo, and um, she went to Moorhead University in Kentucky in the traditional music program, and then called me when she heard I was looking for people, she was ready to move to Nashville, so she moved into the house maybe two years ago. So, We've written a couple songs, I think we won a song contest with one of them. So here you are in Nashville with, uh, at the Hit House. Mm-hmm. Um, are you writing... Um, Nashville, to some people, might seem to be an odd place for someone that writes predominantly for bluegrass, and I don't think you do, and you can, you can expound upon this, but um, because being of reputation for being such a, a, corporate, a corporate town, are, are you writing specifically for bluegrass, or are you writing, you had mentioned gospel a little bit earlier, yeah. um, any, anything else, how, how do you see yourself? Uh, writing? I love writing for bluegrass and I love the bluegrass community. Um, <coughs> I've been working to write more in country and I found over the course of last year I've been writing a lot in gospels. This, the, it just keeps coming out of me. You know, the spirit has taken me. I don't know what to say. But, um, and I've had some success and uh, well, we've got some big things possibly happening this year. I mean, you always hope for the best. You know, there's always something in the works. But um, I think it could be a, a, a good year for gospel, uh, for a bunch of gospel songs that I've written. And uh, I've been meeting some cool people in that in the in the gospel genre. So that's kind of been fun. Um, trying to build my network of country writers and trying to write more in country. You know. Uh, People always say it's impossible to get a, a cut in country and or to get you know get something on the top the the big you know country charts. Hey, I think it's a worthy goal. <laughs> I'll keep cracking at it. You know, it's everything is baby steps. Uh, 
So, are, are so you, I'm trying to write to answer your question. I'm sorry. No. I'm writing a lot in gospel now. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, and there's a lot of opportunity. Uh, I think part of what spurred that, if, as, I, as I was kind of thinking about it, is the, the gospel charts were added, what, a year or two ago? To Bluegrass, um, Bluegrass Today? Yes. Yeah. Yes. And, you know, I had the opportunity to write with a lot of artists, and a lot of people wanted to, would, would be at the point where they're like, oh, I need a gospel song. So, and I think, you know, the opportunity to, to, to chart another song on the gospel. But, you know, uh, it's, it's been great. I, I so, think uh, all of us in, in Bluegrass are aware of those bands um, that either feature gospel as part of their sets or mm-hmm. they cross o- or they, they cross over into, uh, uh, I'm probably not using the right term, the gospel music circuit. You guys like Daly and Vincent, okay. they play in the Bluegrass circuit, they play in the gospel. Doyle yep. Lawson is certainly another one of those bands that, that will play specifically gospel-only shows in the gospel circuit. Okay. Right, when, when you write and pitch a gospel tune, is it to those types of bands or are... Are they to bands that I'm not even aware of that play specifically within that gospel genre, that circuit? Uh, well, I'm, again, uh, I've had the opportunity to write with a lot of artists, so often it'll be in the bluegrass vein, and it'll be those kinds of artists that, that will also do a gospel show, or, you know, I believe in having a, at least a couple gospel tunes on my record, that type of thing. Um, I've started to to make some inroads now into the Southern Gospel scene, and ideally, I'd love to be involved in the CCM, you know, contemporary uh, Christian music scene. Um, and I'm just kind of starting to learn that market and meeting people, and uh, it's exciting. It's, and there's a large representation of that market within the Nashville community. Yes, yes. Yes, one of the biggest companies I think globally is called Daywind, and they're based in Hendersonville. And uh, so I think it's kind of the center for a lot of that. And within music, uh, and within uh, particularly uh, bluegrass music, uh, within some circles, there's uh, you hear griping sort of about uh, Nashville being an evil place, or the Nash, the the. The Nashville, um, how can I say this? The, the, the effect that Nashville has had uh, on the bluegrass music, Nashvilleication oh, of, okay. of bluegrass music, and whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, and and yet we find a lot of uh, bluegrass musicians, a lot of songwriters, publishers in the Nashville area as now part of this whole. I wouldn't say a corporate music scene, but all part of this music scene. A good thing, a bad thing, or just a thing? Well, again, I can only, you know, my context is, you know, my level of experience here is really limited. I haven't been there that long. I haven't been really immersed in that, the corporate conglomerate. Unfortunately, I'm working real hard to try to get to that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But (laughs) as part of what I'm doing. But, um... So what I hear you asking is, you know, it's about commercialization, right? Well, but there's plenty of independence going on in Nashville. Right. Without, I mean, it all has to be commercial in order to, depending on how you define success, of right. course. Right. But to to get the music from Don Kenny to the lesson, listener, it, it has to go through a process. Right. There is a process. And 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 
and eventually money exchanges hands. It has to, or else it dies. I mean, right. um, at least according to me. But that's. But this is a Don Kenny interview, not a Howard Kenny. Yeah. Not okay. A Howard Parker so there's kind of two parts to this in my mind. Is I'm hearing what you're asking. Um, for me, what it's it's the music business, right? It's a business. It's driven by money, you know. And it's this thing where there's the money machine part of it and there's the artistry part of it. And, you know, there's always this thing where the artistry bounces into that commercial money machine. It's like, oh, I can't sell myself out. You know, if I'm making money as an artist, it's a sellout. It's a business and it's, it's done a certain way. And in my goal with Nashville was let's learn how the business is done because I'd like to do this professionally, which means I would need to generate some income from it. You know, I'm older. It's kind of my, you know, my little retirement hobby, which I would like to have some income from it. Plus, I would love to be able to hear my songs on the radio and some on the stage of the Opry and the station and all those places that I hold dear. Um, what commercialism means to me, what that, the Nashville thing means to me is it sets a standard of excellence. And that's what it's always meant to me. Um, for you to get a song on the radio today, <laughs> it's like almost impossible. It has to be really well crafted. It has to appeal to people. It has to, there is kind of a formula for some of this. And I know a lot, you hear people poo poo that. Oh, I don't want to do formulaic songwriting. I'm an artist. Um, art, art ears are trained. We hear a certain way, you know, I know I have to keep my listener interested in that song. If I lose them, they're not going to buy that song. They're not going to, it won't get played on the radio if people aren't asking for it. So, you know, there are what I think of as commercial elements that can make a song successful. And what led me to Nashville is I want to learn how to write a great song. I want to learn how to write a great song that, you know, will move people and if nobody hears it because I'm the only one playing it in my bedroom, it's not going to do that. And, and from a gospel standpoint, from a spiritual standpoint, I would love to write songs that lift people up spiritually when I'm working on gospel stuff, you know. Um, and they have to hear that for that to happen. So they ha I have, how do I reach an audience through that commercial money machine, you know. Um, so that's my perspective on it. Okay. And... And you had mentioned radio before. Has has the delivery method of the music um, over the past decade or so, from over-the-air radio to, in some markets, to streaming or HD or Sirius XM, has that changed anything uh, in the way you write or what you write? Or is it all still pretty much the craft of a well-crafted song, no matter how the tune is delivered. It well, it has changed it how it has changed how I write in the sense of I'm always wanting to write this a single because years ago, you know, you could get a song, you could get a uh, what they would call an album cut, which was would never be released as a single, but it was recorded, it was on the album, and. People made money with physical sales of vinyl records, and then CD, and then cassettes and CDs. So you could have an album cut, and if that album sold well, 
you'd get a little bit of an income stream. Well, I can have an album cut, and I have, and never see anything from that other than maybe, you know, what we call mechanical royalties is they printed so many CDs because it never gets played. So with, with the only way that we're really seeing any money in bluegrass is if the song does really well and stays on the charts for a long time. As a single. As a single. Yeah, to get on the charts, it, it typically has to be singled. And typically, typically. Some songs find their way. And have the artists themselves um, evolved into a singles mentality versus a project mentality or an album mentality? You know, that's an interesting question. I, I, I do ask artists that, you know. And um, in country, I had an interesting conversation about a year ago with an, an emerging artist in country who was working with a pretty heavy duty producer. And, uh, and I was actually talking to both of them. And they were focused on making, they wanted to make an album, like in the traditional sense, you know, like we would think of in the 70s where artists, they made concept albums, you know. And so I think there seems to be, and again, this is my limited experience, there seems to be kind of a throwback to that, you know, especially in the Americana genre. You know, there's more of a focus on that. Do you think it's a focus with the older artists that have ceased to chart or mm. become... I, I, the only thing that, that really... Oh, wow. I, mean, I don't want to name it, but... <laughs> yeah, let's I, not and, name any names. Well, well I, I, I don't mean that as an insult because some of my, my personal favorite music... I, I mean, I'm, I'm thinking of a couple, a couple of years ago, you know, Vince Gill, who hasn't charted yep. in really years and years, yep. you know, came out with a fantastic... Um, Album called Bakersfield, yep. with uh, featuring Paul Franklin Jr. on pedal steel, mm -hmm. and 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 that I would, think that did really well. It did really well. Yeah. I mean, it was a great concept, and it was um, basically uh, not reinventing, but reinterpreting the music of Merle Haggard and Buck Owens and everyone that came out of the Bakersfield thing. And I noted that well, uh, of course, Vince can afford to do this because he's he's Vince Gill and mm -hmm. he plays the time jumpers, and he doesn't have to worry about charting singles. But I'm wondering if someone that's uh, a 20-something-year-old or a 30-something-year-old can afford to actually do that artistically or, or if they're really, uh, let's face it, it's a singles world, I've got to, I've got to go for the gold with that single. Well, you know, there's always exceptions to the rule. Like, um, <clears throat> you know, you think about that, the, the country scene, the country, commercial country music scene, I don't know, 10 years ago. Everybody was young. They were beautiful. Uh, you know, it was all bro country kind of songs, trucks and beer and all that stuff. And definitely there's more roots coming into it. There's more of, uh, th there has been a shift. Um, like Chris Stapleton. and Chris Stapleton's an excellent example. Um, and it, so there are these artists and uh Zach Brown mm -hmm. is the one I'm thinking of. He kind of broke at a time when everybody was still beautiful and young. He was older. He was a little overweight. Um, but he had built such a following. And on his own, as an independent artist, it was like almost undeniable from the labels, right? That uh, he just was bringing those numbers. So I think there's a real focus on 
and again, I get, you know, I, I'm really not in that machine. I can't speak to it, but, uh, you know, they're finding, we're, we're seeing artists breaking that have big numbers on social media, big numbers on YouTube. So, you know, are they focused on singles? I'm trying to get back to your original question. I think mm -hmm. they're just focused on do, making their music and people are loving it and, and they're really good social media wizards. They're, they're good at getting that out disseminating their music um, so but Zach Brown came to mind because he kind of he got picked up and he didn't fit that niche at the time and he's still doing really well but as a songwriter I'm kind of my focus right now is to kind of get my songs out there have them heard and write songs that are so great <laughs> ideally um, that they they can get to that level you know I'm always trying to write a better song when last year uh, last summer um, I interviewed a mutual friend of ours David Morse okay another song songwriter and, and um, one of the things that he spent a lot of time in was uh, going over the what he saw as the financial and legal realities of being a bluegrass songwriter I don't I don't we don't need to rehash all of that. But beyond the art of songwriting, are there any other challenges that you're finding? You're... <laughs> I'll, oh, yeah. stop, I'll stop now. <laughs> no, no, please finish the question. Well, uh, you, you sort of catch, uh, catch, catch my drift. I mean, it, it's... Um, there is... Um, I mean, we all have to live in, in, the, in the real world. Yeah. And... Um, and so I'll, I'll just stop talking and I'll okay. just let you free form. So I can't, I mean, from a legal standpoint, I mean, I can't really speak to that. I'm not an attorney, but I know uh, some of the challenges we face out there, especially in a small genre like bluegrass, sometimes it's hard to get paid. Um, that's kind of like one of those dirty little secrets we all know about. And uh, sometimes you have to chase the money um, you know, there are labels that aren't as forthcoming in a timely manner with <laughs> paying out the royalties. And there's others who are great and very respectful of the songwriter. So it's like, a, and the reality is, it's like any other business. You've it's got like some, anything else. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah. You yeah. just have to know what you're dealing with. That's you're, right. Yeah. And, you know, it, you need to be in there slugging it out and you eventually you get far enough along that you do up on this stuff you know when you're first at it you not you don't know um, so yeah so there's that the other challenge that is something I think about a lot and I'm not sure if there's a way to make it better is it's sometimes you'll pitch songs to artists and I'm, there's no specific artist in mind at all this is just a, a general thing um, and they tell you that they like the song and that they might they might want to cut it and then you never hear back from them again. So there's a thing that we call a hold. So if an artist definitely wants the song, I'm definitely gonna cut it, or I, I fully intend to cut it, I want you to hold it for me. That's great, right? We're happy to do that. We love to have our songs recorded. But sometimes you'll have artists that show an awful lot of enthusiasm or say, oh, you know, we think we're gonna put this on, but they don't ask for a hold. And, and then you never hear back, and then you have other people that are interested in, in the song. And, and I think part of it comes from 
uh, they don't want to make you feel bad. Like, they don't want to come back and say, oh, we decided not to put it on the record. Now, there's a million reasons it might not be on that record. And it could be a great song, but it might not be a fit for that record. I had a, a song with an artist recently that I thought was, that I wrote with the artist I thought was going to be on the record, but there were too many mid-tempo songs on the record. And this was just another one, and they went with something else for the gospel song. So, I mean, there's a million reasons. They're all legitimate. Once we put our songs out there, we have no control. And that can be a little challenging. But, you know, if I had a wish, I wish that they wouldn't feel bad saying, you know what, we're not going to use that, no problem. Like, that slow no, what's, what's that term, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's killer because I kind of take that song out of rotation because if somebody likes it, I don't want them to come back to me and ask me for a license after somebody else has it on hold. I mean, that's... You know, this whole uh, weird, nasty thing. Yeah. You're not, you're not going to get more bites at the apple if you do that. Right. I, I know that songwriters put limits on holds. Do you have a sort of a personal limit uh, as far as the time frame? It's got to go on the next album, or or if it doesn't go on the next uh, album, I then... usually at, you know, I'll they want it for this next record. I'll say, well, when are you cutting? And yeah, you know, it depends on the artist. I mean. I'm still a fan. I'm still a big fan. Let's face it. I mean, there are artists. I love what they do. I'm, I'm fortunate to have some of them as friends, and I would love to have a song on their record. So if I know they want it, I'll be willing to hold it, maybe for years. You know, depends what it is. Versus, so I don't know. It all depends. But you know, it, it's tough because in bluegrass, it is such a close knit community, and we don't want to hurt each other's feelings. And uh, you know, for me, it's a business in that sense of, if you don't like that one, I got another one. <laughs> you don't like that one? I can write you one. Guess what? Right. What would you like to say? Um, or, okay, you're not going to do anything this time, but maybe, you know, we'll get, we'll get another one sometime. You know, it's just maintaining those relationships. And so that's like a little uncomfortable thing that happens, which, you know, I wish it didn't because but, I don't care. But. If you don't like it, so it might feel bad for a minute because maybe I think it's right for you, but I'm not you. I'm yep. not the artist. Yeah, you know? understood. Well, okay, so um, I'm thinking, um, okay, if I'm a, uh, a younger potential songwriter and if I want to get into the business and I've written some and for, for some reason I have decided that Nashville is the place to be, or maybe Austin or New York or or whatever. What what recommendations might you have for someone as a reality check, or let's tick off these boxes before you make the the big commitment to right. to move? I would say do your homework, get connected to a professional organization, Nashville NSAI, Nashville Songwriters Association International. Um, there's a great group that I'm a member of called Songtown, uh, Songtown USA, uh, which was started by two hit country writers, uh, Clay Mills and Marty Dodson, and they built this great supportive community where, you know, it's kind of a subscription service, but you can get uh, a, a critique a month, a professional songwriting critique. A membership to NSAI also does that. They do, you can get professional critiques with your membership from wherever you are in the country. You just upload your song and, uh, 
tell them what kind of critique you want. You know, do you want a full-blown, let me have it, I can take it, or <laughs> go gentle on me, you know, this is my first song kind of thing. You know, learn what songwriting is. Learn what good songwriting is. There are elements, no matter how, what the final result of the song is, there are elements to crafting a song, whether it's a commercial song or an indie, cool, progressive song. Um, there are ways that we keep the listener engaged. There are ways to engage people in your songs. So do the work. Do the homework, you know. And, and Join from, those groups. Get critiques. Find other songwriters. And from a um, financial aspect, if I'm a younger person, younger than me, um, I, should I be prepared to uh, have uh, employment and... Uh, and uh, housing already lined up before I get on the airplane and go to Nashville? Should I be prepared to bust tables, wash dishes? Um, Probably, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe have a comfortable car you can sleep in, I don't know. Um, so I'm not going to be going for work for a publisher right, right away or anything like that? You know... Even if I'm a graduate of East Tennessee State or Berkeley or any... If you have amazing songs, it doesn't matter how old you are. Mm -hmm. And you don't have to be young to start. I got it. I was in my 40s when I started really digging in. So, and Clay Mills, uh, who I know from Songtown, I think he didn't... And he's a big hit writer. He's got big hit songs that you know the names of them if I said them. Um, he didn't... I don't think he even moved to Nashville until he was in his 40s. So you don't have to just be young to start, you know. Um, but even some of the hit writers I've met uh, aren't making a living full-time. I mean, they're getting their publisher draws and stuff. But a lot of them have side gigs, you know. Um, in the music business, some of them teach, you know. Uh, it's, it's hard to get a cut. You know, it's hard to get a song recorded. And as a bluegrass songwriter... I don't want to say you're not going to make a living as a songwriter, but you're probably not going to make a living as a songwriter. So you should be prepared to expand your yeah. horizons from bluegrass to other roots types Absolutely. of... Uh, or, it, you know, maybe have something else. I have a real estate appraisal business, and I've been doing that since the 80s, and as I've kind of shifted to music, I'm working less, but I'm still working. I'm still, you know probably like a three-quarter time, half to three-quarter time schedule to, to support myself, you know. I'd love to have a, a big song break, but, uh, you know, it, it's just in the music industry in general that there's not a lot of people making a full-time income from songwriting, unless they're at the top of the top, you know. You know, I would say if you're just songwriting is, it's, it's a noble, effort you know it's something that it breathes life into the world songs can change our lives i'm telling you unicorns and gossamer wings <laughs> i believe it you know <laughs> i really do i mean has your life been changed by a song i know mine has oh absolutely music in general and, absolutely and, and you know profoundly so there you go actually. so you know somebody had to write that song doesn't matter who the artist was i mean that's important too the delivery is a big piece of it but that started probably in somebody's bedroom or in a writer room or you know an idea was sparked and you know if you're called to write songs 
I think we all have God-given gifts, and I think that's a gift. And, you know, if you have a gift, it's your responsibility to breathe that out into the world, you know. For better or for worse. <laughs> that's true. That was Don Kenny talking with Howard Parker about songwriting and the business of music. For more information, look for her on Facebook or visit her website, dawnkenney.com. That's D-A-W-N-K-E-N-N-E-Y.com. Bluegrass Stories is hosted on SoundCloud and is available to stream on SoundCloud, Google and Apple Podcasts, on Facebook, and at katydaily.com. I'm Katie Daly. Thanks for listening to Bluegrass Stories.